Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, this is Raven. I would like to tell you about my new sponsor, Intellectual Linear Progression. It is an online community where people are changed by the books that change the world. Intellectual Linear Progression sends you the best translations of books written by the most influential Western philosophers, then helps you develop good reading habits by text and email reminders. Once a month, there's an online Zoom seminar where community members, as well as a host trained in the Socratic method, discuss what you read. This ensures that you get the most out of the reading by seeing it from lots of different perspectives and contributing your own. If you are interested, please go to onlinegreatbooks.com slash ref slash V-A-M, like vampires. And use the code V-A-M to get 25% off your first three months, as well as supporting the Tiny Vampires podcast. Hello, and welcome to Tiny Vampires, a podcast about disease, science, and blood-sucking insects. A member of the Agora Podcast Network. episode 20. Why is it taking so long to make a malaria vaccine, and what is happening with the vaccine RTSS? I'm Raven Forrest Riscalzo, your host. This topic was sent in by Mark Ottenheim through the Tiny Vampires Contact Us page. He had been watching a documentary about the RTSS vaccine and wants to know more about it. Let's start by talking about malaria. It's the first among the big baddies of the vector-borne diseases, killing or weakening millions every year. Malaria is a medical condition caused by a very tiny parasite called plasmodium. In fact, they're so small, they actually live inside of red blood cells, despite the fact that they are more closely related to humans than they are to bacteria. There are five types of plasmodium that infect humans, but only two that get to epidemic proportions. Plasmodium vivax is transmitted mostly in the Americas and Asia, 
and is not nearly as deadly as Plasmodium falciparum, which is transmitted mostly in sub-Saharan Africa. Falciparum is responsible for 90% of malaria cases and 91% of human deaths from malaria. Anopheles is the name of the group of mosquitoes that transmit Plasmodium from one human to another. The name Anopheles comes from Greek, an meaning without, and Opheles meaning use. I think we can agree with the Greeks in their appropriate name of useless. There's a lot of information out there about how parasites affect the mosquito that carries it, but I won't get into that right now because we have a lot to cover when it comes to the vaccine. If you'd like to hear more about it, shoot me a topic request. For now, I'll just say that the mosquitoes pick up an immature plasmodium from someone with malaria. The plasmodium develops internally to the mosquito. Then, when the mosquito bites another person, they are infected with more mature parasites. This is why malaria can't be passed from one person to another, with the exception of mothers to their unborn children. Like I said, the parasite lives inside of the victim's red blood cells, eating their hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is the protein that uses iron molecules to capture oxygen from the lungs and bring it all over the body. Then, it captures CO2 from the rest of the body, bringing it back to the lungs. It's also what makes your red blood cells red. As the plasmodium eats up the hemoglobin, they replicate inside of the red blood cell until it can't hold any more and it bursts open. The newly released parasites then find a new red blood cell to infect and the process starts again. The result of the destruction of all those red blood cells are symptoms like high fever, headache, and anemia, which is the term for when your blood isn't as capable as it should be of carrying oxygen to the rest of your body. The destruction also causes something called metabolic acidosis, which is what happens when CO2 builds up inside of your body, making everything much too acidic to function normally. These symptoms especially lead to death in babies and very young children. Cases of malaria have gone down dramatically, with medications both to cure and prevent the disease, as well as campaigns to keep humans and mosquitoes away from each other, like insecticide-treated walls and bed nets. Despite these massive strides, which brought the death toll down from 755,000 in 2010 to 400,000 in 2015, we still have hundreds of thousands of children dying every year. So, there's plenty of cause to develop a vaccine. Part of Mart's question was, why is it taking so long? There are three main reasons. First, our current vaccines are either to protect from viruses or bacteria. Let's use the Zika vaccine as an example. Zika is a virus. The very first vaccine was also for a virus. So we can take the lessons that we learned 
from all of the virus vaccines and apply them to the Zika problem. We also had a head start because Zika is a member of a family of viruses, some of which we already developed a vaccine for. For malaria, we're essentially starting from scratch. There has never been a vaccine for a parasite before. Second, even though Plasmodium is very small, is very complex. They have all kinds of complicated and sneaky ways of avoiding being detected by our immune systems. This is one reason why people become infected over and over again. Their bodies can fight it off a little, which is why fewer adults than children die from the infection. But they never become fully immune. The third reason is somewhat related to the second point. Plasmodium go through multiple life stages while inside the human body. Some inside of our cells, some out. Each of these stages are very different, like caterpillars and butterflies. So, to make the ideal vaccine, researchers would have to create something with many different components, each training the immune system to tackle a different life stage. Or, they would need to make a highly effective vaccine for just one part of the life stage. Once a potential vaccine is created, it must be tested to make sure that it works and that it's safe. After all the lab work is done, and all the animal testing, it's time to test it on humans. This process has four phases. In phase one, researchers give it to a small group of people to figure out if it's safe, get a rough idea of the amount to give and when, and identify any side effects. In phase two, the vaccine is given to a larger group of people to see if it works and eventually select an optimal dosage. During phase three, an even a larger number of people are vaccinated to confirm it works, monitor side effects, and compare it to any other commonly used treatments. Finally, phase four studies are done after the vaccination is made available to the public. This is to gather information on the drug's effectiveness in various populations and to see side effects associated with long-term use. In all of these stages, safety is closely monitored, and the question, is it worth it, is asked between every stage. If the negative effects are determined to outweigh the benefits of the vaccine, it's not allowed to move on to the next step. RTSS is the malaria vaccine that is currently furthest along in these three steps. Its development began back in 1980, with a partnership between the U.S. military at the Walter Reed Institute of Research and the British pharmaceutical company GlaxoSmithKline. In 2001, it gained a big boost when the health nonprofit PATH joined the team. This is the time that it became more focused, seeking to produce a vaccine specifically for children in sub-Saharan Africa. In 2009, major research institutions in Africa got involved and started conducting the Phase three trials, the trials to make sure that it's safe and that it works. 
in seven countries all across the continent. The paper resulting from this work is the paper we're going to talk about today. It doesn't have an author's list, but this is probably because there were so many people involved in working on it. It's called Efficacy and Safety of RTSS ASO1 Malaria Vaccine with or without a booster dose in infants and children in Africa. Final results of a phase 3 individually randomized controlled trial. To find participants, the researchers asked which countries wanted to participate in the trial. Naturally, these trials had to happen in locations where they knew the children would be exposed to malaria. You can't tell if someone's immune to something unless they're exposed to that thing. And of course, it would be horribly unethical to give children vaccine and then give them malaria. So, of the countries that volunteered, they picked locations where children were going to be exposed to high rates of plasmodium infection. Specifically, 11 sites, like hospitals or clinics, in seven countries, which were Burkina Faso, Gibbon, Ghana, Kenya, Malawi, Mozambique, and Tanzania. At these sites, parents of babies between 5 months old and 17 months old, or infants between the ages of 6 and 12 weeks old, could sign up to be part of the trial. After someone explained the process of the trial and all about the vaccine, the parents would give either a signature or their thumbprint, giving the clinic consent to vaccinate. To make sure the vaccine was actually working, they had to compare two groups of babies and infants that were getting the malaria vaccine to those who weren't. In trials of medications you might have heard of, they give this comparison group a placebo instead of actual medication. With vaccines, they just give a different vaccine, one that's been used for years and is known to be safe. In this case, that was the vaccine for the rabies virus. They had another question, though. Not only did they need to know if RTSS was safe and effective, but they also needed to know if a booster shot was necessary. So, they created three groups. One would get the normal course of RTSS vaccine. One shot a month for three months then a booster shot at 18 months after that. The second group would get the normal course of RTSS vaccine, then a different vaccine for the booster. The third group would get the rabies vaccine plus a rabies booster, meaning that they would be just as likely to get malaria after the injections as they were before the trial began. From now on, we'll call this the control group, just to keep things less confusing. The trial is called double-blind, because each site was randomly assigned one of these groups. Vaccine with booster, vaccine with a control booster, or just a control. By the researchers running the trial, 
but without the clinic knowing if they were injecting the malaria vaccine or a control vaccine. The patient's parents also didn't know which vaccine the child was getting. The clinic and the patients were both going in blind, thus double blind. For three years after their shots, the babies and infants were under what's called passive case detection, meaning that if they got sick for any reason and were taken into the hospital, they would be tested for plasmodium in their blood, and the results would then be reported to the researchers doing the study. To find out about any adverse effects that could be happening from the vaccine, they closely monitored them for the first 30 days after the vaccination. After that, researchers conducted home visits once a month where the parents could report any side effects that they noticed. So, what does it all come down to? What were the results? First and most importantly, is it safe? The RTSS vaccine was on par with the safety of other vaccines given to babies around these ages, the most important side effect being an increased chance of getting a fever. Sometimes, these fevers were so high that they caused seizures. This happened in 2.5 per 1,000 injections. These seizures didn't result in any permanent physical harm. There were also a few cases of meningitis, the swelling of the membrane surrounding the brain. 11 in the group that got the booster, 10 in the group that didn't get the booster, compared to 1 in the control group. This is out of 8,922 babies and 6,537 infants that were part of the trial. Which leads to the next question. Is it worth it? Or, in other words, how well does it work? The babies in the booster group had reduced malaria rates of 39%. In other words, 4 out of 10 babies were immune to the plasmodium parasite. Cases of severe malaria, so bad that they required extreme medical interventions such as blood transfusions, was reduced by 31%. In the group without the booster, the protection was lost, meaning that there would be little point in getting the vaccine unless the patients got all four doses. That's the babies. In the infants, there was no difference between infants who got the RTSS vaccine and those who got the other vaccine. There are some ideas going around as to why it doesn't work in people so young, but right now all they are is speculation and a lot more research needs to be done. Long story short, this vaccine isn't going to fix the malaria problem. But it does have the potential to save a lot of lives, especially while we work on something better. Plus, with the drastic decrease in malaria infection rates because of mosquito control and medications, this is a very important arrow in our quiver. I want to acknowledge how hard it must have been for the parents of these children to sign up for a trial, to not know which vaccine their child was getting, but these parents thought it was worth the risk 
to try to save their children from malaria. More than 15,500 babies and infants had parents that made that choice. It was their bravery that got us to where we are now. Where we are now, in 2018, is that the results from this study that we just talked about have been analyzed by many different countries, organizations, agencies, leading to the conclusion that the vaccine should move forward into the phase four. The phase four project is going to be such a large undertaking that it was announced in April of last year and doesn't begin until this year. In May, the health agencies of the participating countries, Ghana, Kenya, and Malawi, each independently cleared the vaccine for the large-scale trial. And by large-scale, I mean 750,000 babies. We should be hearing about the first vaccinations in Phase 4 soon. I keep an eye on all kinds of disease, insect, and science news, and post interesting news articles on the podcast Facebook page and Twitter feed. I'll definitely be looking out for this story. It's going to be such a big deal that I might even do a bonus episode. During the Phase 4 trial, GlaxoSmithKline is providing vaccines to babies between 5 months old and 17 months old in the trial area free of charge. The massive project itself is being funded by the NGO Unitaid and two public-private partnerships, Gavi and the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Malaria, and Tuberculosis. The initial results of the Phase 4 aren't likely to be ready until at least 2020. All of that's for babies. So how about adults? RTSS for adults is probably coming soon, too. Just not as soon. The results from the Phase 1 and 2 came out in 2014, which I'll link in the show notes, along with lots of other links that give tons of details that I couldn't go into here. Next month, in episode 21, we're going to be sticking with the vaccine theme. Thomas Daly asked why there's a Lyme disease vaccine for dogs, but not one for humans. There are quite a few conspiracy theories surrounding this topic, so it'll be fun to separate fact from fiction for you guys. June's Agora Podcasters of the Month are Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. These guys are podcast-producing powerhouses, with basically a mini-podcast network all their own, called Podcastnik. Under the Podcastnik umbrella are shows like The History of Alchemy, The Secret Cabinet, and my favorite, even though I've never listened to it, The History of Germany in Arabic. Travis's English version of the History of Germany podcast is being translated into Arabic to help the Syrian refugees and other Arabic-speaking immigrants to Germany learn more about their new home. So check out their podcast and give them some support because they're a couple of really great guys. Speaking of really great people translating podcasts, I want to give a shout out to Raquel for the work that she puts into Tiny Vampires Espanol. 
If you have any Spanish-speaking friends or family, please share it with them and give her some ratings and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening from me, Raven Forest Ruskelton. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.